And so David delivered them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them all on the hill before the Lord. And so they fell, all seven together, and were put to death in the days of harvest, in the first days, in the beginning of the barley harvest. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. David chose seven male descendants of Saul to give over to the Gibeonites, and they executed them by public hanging. The method of death was also important because it fulfilled the promise of Deuteronomy chapter 21:13 which says, "He who is hanged is accursed of God." These descendants of Saul bore the curse Saul deserved and so delivered Israel from the guilt of their sin against the Gibeonites. This promise explains why Jesus died the way he did. Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 explains, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Now here's Pastor Rob. David comes in, from your perspective, looking at me, you know, David comes into, you know, Saul does his wicked deeds back here. David comes into power, and God waits until the end of David's reign to say, um, there's a problem that happened way back about 20 years ago. I'd like to deal with that now. No, God doesn't do that. He's like, I'm going to deal with this now. Right as soon as you're starting, David, before we go any further, I want to fix this issue that had happened. And notice in verse 2, it says, The king, David, he called the Gibeonites, and he spoke to them. And the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but notice, of the remnant of the Amorites. Does that ring a bell with anybody? Remember when we were going through Deuteronomy? And even we were going through Samuel. The remnant of the Amorites. Were the Amorites, a, a, uh, were they part of the Canaanites? Were they, weren't they one of the seven nations of, of tribes that God was going to get rid of before he would bring Israel into the land? Didn't he say that? Remember what he said to Joshua as they went into the promised land? Remember what he said? But of the city, this is Deuteronomy 20, verse 16. And this is what God said concerning the Amorites. Because the Gibeonites were part of the Amorites. And what did God say about the Amorites? Let me just refresh your memory. Deuteronomy 20, verse 16. But the cities of these peoples, which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, you shall let nothing that breathes remain alive. Boy, that is such... You know, if God was to do this today, he would be impeached, and he would be put into prison, and he would be cast out and crucified again, quicker than probably what he was in Rome. He would have been castigated. He would have been suspended and canceled off Twitter and Facebook and YouTube. They would have kicked him off of all those things. They wouldn't even allow him to speak as if he can be withheld from speaking. 
I'm looking forward to the day when he comes back and he roars. Everyone's going to hear it. But notice, but of the cities of these peoples, which the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance, you shall let nothing that breathes remain alive. Why? Is it because that they were, that because God is so mean? No, he tells us. But you shall utterly destroy them. You shall utterly destroy them. Here are the people groups, children of Israel, that I want you to destroy. The reason I'm bringing you into the land is because of their wickedness. They've been doing it for hundreds of years. I'm going to bring judgment. I'm going to use you as my hammer of justice against them. And God is right in doing so. What does he say? The Hittite and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite, just as the Lord your God has commanded you. And why? Do they need to utterly destroy these seven people groups? Here's the reason, verse 18. Lest they teach you to do according to all their abominations which they have done for their gods, and you sin against the Lord your God. That's why. It's because of sin. God is not capricious in just killing people. He's not, he doesn't kill people. I mean, in that sense, he, he brings judgment upon them. See, there is a judgment coming. And you and I, if we are in Christ, we will never see the judgment part of God. He's already taken our judgment upon himself on the cross. That's what's so beautiful about the crucifixion. He's already taken the punishment. But those who are not in Christ, unless they give their heart to Christ, they will stand before an all-powerful God. And I hate to see that day at the great white throne judgment when all believers who have died, Even those who have died will be resurrected before his throne and they will be given a resurrection body and they will live in a resurrection of condemnation in the lake of fire forever and ever that burns forever and ever. And do you think God enjoys that? No, he doesn't. It breaks his heart. He doesn't want to see anybody. But they choose that place. You and I have to choose. And so the Amorites and the Gibeonites were part of those Amorite people and they were to be eradicated. They were to be destroyed. Again, why? Because of their sin. And when we were in, if you go to Israel with us one year, um, you'll see the very Canaanite altars. They discovered this up in Megiddo, and I got pictures of it. And you can't even get near it because they got it all roped off. But there was an actual altar that you can see there in Megiddo, and uh, it's approached by stairs, and it's made of these crude rocks, and they uncovered it. It's still there. And they used to sacrifice humans babies on that altar to their gods, their false gods, Molech and, and Baal. They would sacrifice human beings on that thing. And do you think that that really ticked God off? You better believe it. God hates it. Just as he hates abortion, he hates abortion. And if any of you ladies have had that and God has forgiven you, there's no condemnation here, okay? But God hates it, and he hates and he will come against anyone who stands in the way of killing those innocent lives. So they were of the children, the remnant of the Amorites. The children of Israel had sworn protection to them. What? Wait, I thought they were God's enemies. I thought God told them to eradicate, to destroy them. Yes, he did. But there was a, something that happened. And you might want to write in your margin Joshua chapter 9. Let me just summarize it really quick for the sake of time. When Joshua and the children of Israel came from the 
east, and they were going west, and they crossed over the Jordan River into the Promised Land. They were to eradicate all of these people groups, which are the only groups that really inhabited that land. And when they came to the city of Gibeon, which was a royal city, actually, as they were planning on raiding that city and doing exactly what God had told them to do, they didn't ask questions, they just obeyed him. They were getting ready to do that, and they receive a couple visitors who tell them that they were from a far land, you know, that they feign themselves to be, you know, having these old, you know, clothing and their sandals look really old and they had old moldy bread with them and they feigned to make Joshua believe that they had come from a long distant place and, and now they're here and they're like, you know, make a, a treaty with us, make a, a pact with us um, because we, we want to be your servants because they knew that Israel was coming and so they're, they're thinking we got to save our tails if we can here and so that's exactly what they do. They feign to be something other than what they are. And Joshua and the men of Israel, the elders, said, okay, we'll do that. We'll make a, 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 a pact with you. And we swear as an oath that we won't harm you or your people. And so they do. And then it comes to find out as they approach the city, it, it comes to their knowledge that these men were really impostors, but yet they had to be truthful to their oath that they made before God. Do you understand? And that's how serious the oath was. God told them to wipe out these people. These people deceived them, but nonetheless, God holds them responsible for the oath because of their, if they had only inquired of the Lord, think of that, like David inquired of the Lord. If they had only inquired of the Lord, Lord, we, we heard these guys, are they, really, are they real or not, or what's the deal here? God could have spoken to them very, very simply, uh, Joshua, these men are deceivers. They're really from Gibeah, or from, from Gibeon. And I need you to wipe them out nonetheless. They're lying to you. They're deceiving you. But they make a pact. They make a treaty between the two of them, and so it's binding. And, the, and Joshua has enough uh, um, scruples and enough uh, morality in his heart to honor God and, and deal with it. So what do they do? They make them hewers of wood and drawers of water. So they do a lot of their manual labor for them. They become like slaves for them, to do menial tasks. And the people were fine with that. Because guess what? They're alive. <laughs> and, and they weren't hard taskmasters either. I mean, they, they made them do certain things, but they lived and they learned to feel good about this. And we're good with this. Hey, we're breathing. And our kids are breathing. We're, we're good with this, right? So that is the deal. That is the deal. So an oath had been made back in the time of Joshua, several hundreds of years prior to this. And so the king, you know, but it says there at the end of verse 2 that Saul had sought to kill them in his zeal for the children of Israel and Judah. And again, we do not know where Saul did this. It's not recorded anywhere in the scripture. But again, we believe it occurred around 1 Samuel 22 because um, during that massacre of Ahimelech the priests and the 85 other priests and their families, and it's believed that Saul killed the Gibeonites, just prior to that chapter in chapter 22 of 1 Samuel, because he intimated that he would give his fellow Benjamin, the fellow Benjamites, fields and vineyards. And he said that. He said that to his men. He says, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards? He said this to his, his, his army. And where did he get those fields to begin with, those fields and vineyards? We believe that he got them because of his raid on the Gibeonites. He killed them, and he's going to give those lands and those vineyards to the Benjamites, his friends. 
part of his family in a sense. So again, we believe that that's probably where it occurred. But it's not recorded in Scripture anywhere, so we can't be dogmatic. But verse 3, it says, Therefore David said to the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you, and what shall I make atonement, uh, that you may bless the inheritance of the Lord? And again, if David had inquired of the Lord on how he should have made this good to them, things may have been very different. Things may have been very different. Because oftentimes, we think there's choice A and choice B. We don't always know that there's a choice C or D. We're always, have, you, have you ever noticed this? Sometimes somebody will confront you with, you need to make this decision or this decision. And, you, and if you think about it, they're trying to trap you. And you're like, well, have you thought about this? No, no, no don't talk about that. But uh, uh, door number one or door number two, which is it? And you're like, well, there's a door number three. Well, don't, don't, don't talk about that. Door number one, or, you know, you get my point? Sometimes there are other ways that God can get things done. And all we have to do is what? Inquire of the Lord, right? And so when the Gibeonites said to him, we will have no silver or gold, we don't want money from Saul or from his house, nor shall you kill any man in Israel for us. So he said, well, whatever you say, I will do for you. What a dangerous thing. David should have gone and inquired of the Lord and says, you know, Lord, um, before these guys tell me what they want to do, how do you want to resolve this? Because you're the one who told me that it's because of this famine. This famine is a result of this issue, this feud, this oath that had been made because Saul killed those Gibeonites. And those Gibeonites were protected back in Joshua 9. Do you remember? And so the oath is still binding. How do you want to deal with this, Lord? I'm sure the Lord would have given them a door C or D, but all that they're thinking about is this or this. And God could have very well done something different. And so here's their thing. And they answered the king, As for the man who consumed us and plotted against us that we should be destroyed from remaining in any of the territories in Israel, let seven men of his descendants be delivered to us, and we will hang them before the Lord in Gabeah of Saul, whom the Lord chose. And the king said, I will inquire of the Lord first. (laughs) No, he says, I will give them. I will give them. Normally under the law, offspring of a man were not to be put to death because of their father's sin and vice versa. It tells us in Deuteronomy 24, Fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall children be put to death for their fathers. A person shall be put to death for his own sin. And so this is violating some things, but there is a binding oath here. Now again, if David would have inquired of the Lord, this whole thing could have been probably resolved without any loss of life, perhaps. But because of the oath that was made by Israel and the Gibeonites, it was permitted by David. David thought that good. Again, didn't inquire of the Lord. Perhaps he should have inquired of the Lord, and maybe there would have been a different outcome. And so, verse 7, But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because the Lord's oath was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. And again, this seems, to be, um, this seems to put the contents or the events of 2 Samuel 9 into context. In other words, David sought to see if there was anyone left of Saul's house that he could show kindness to, and, and it was indeed Mephibosheth. He was the only one out of that slaughter that Saul had done in killing those seven other brothers. Mephibosheth was spared. He was spared. And, um, and why did he spare Mephibosheth? Because of the oath. Because of the oath. Let me just give you a couple scriptures here. Um, in First Samuel chapter 18, 
verses 1 through 4. This was after David slew Goliath, and, and David and Jonathan's heart were knit together. It says that Jonathan made, uh, and David, they made a covenant because uh, Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off his robe as the king's son, who was, who was Saul at the time, and he put it on, on David and with his armor, even to his sword and his belt and his bow. So they made a covenant. They made a vow with one another. In 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 14, this was during Saul's hatred for David and the moment that David and Jonathan made a covenant in the field before David fled into exile. It says, Jonathan speaking to David says, But you shall, and here, and, and not only shall you show me kindness, David, uh, of the Lord while I still yet live, because Jonathan realized that God's hand was on David and that his father Saul's reign was coming to an end. And Saul and David, they were like this. They were genuine friends. They loved each other. And so Jonathan said, David, make me a promise. Show me kindness of the Lord while I still live that I may not die. In other words, when you come into your kingdom, don't kill me. And David's like, please, Jonathan, you're the last person I'd want to kill. But David goes on, he says, But you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of your enemies of David from the face of the earth. And so Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. So David was on, David didn't kill these seven men, you notice, but he did give them over. And so he's riding a thin line here. But he, he stayed true to his covenant with Jonathan about his son. He made sure that, because David didn't kill him, but he was sort of guilty, I think, by handing them over because he knew what they were going to do to those men, which we're going to see here shortly. So not only was David honoring the covenant that was made back in the time of Joshua, but he was also honoring the covenant that he had made with Jonathan. And it's important that we are a people of our word as well. Right? It's better to not make a promise or an oath than to make a promise or an oath and not come through or not keep it. There was a time in our country, there was a time when men would shake hands and they would say things and their word was their bond and the handshake sealed the deal and there wasn't any need for lawyers. But now, lawyers are over everything because people can't be trusted. Men can't be trusted to keep their word any longer. And now there's so much law involved, and it's really a shame. You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, he says, Again, you've heard that it was said of those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say unto you, don't swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one white hair white or black, but let your yes be yes, and no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Anything that's other than yes, yes, no, no, the devil is knocking at your door. That's what he's saying. Even James, Jesus' half-brother, writing his letter in chapter 5, verse 12, But above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. And so David here, he sort of keeps his covenant with, with Jonathan. He keeps his son alive. So the king took Armoni and Mephibosheth. Now, this Mephibosheth here in verse 8 is not Jonathan's son. Okay, So Armoni and Mephibosheth, the two sons of who? 
Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, whom she bore to Saul, and five sons of Michal. Remember Michal, Saul's daughter that he gave to David as a gift? That actually should be, you might want to scratch that out, and this is one of the corruptions that I wanted to tell you about in the text. That should be Merab, M-E-R-A-B. That should be Merab, because Merab, she was a daughter of Saul, whom she brought up for Adriel, the son of Barzillai, the Maholophite. She was the one who was married to Barzillai, not Michal. And so David delivered them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them all on the hill before the Lord. And so they fell, all seven together, and were put to death in the days of harvest, in the first days, in the beginning of the barley harvest. So again, um, the Mephibosheth mentioned in verse 8 is from Rizpah, one of Saul's concubines. You can put in your margin Second uh, Samuel chapter 3, verse 7. It'll, it'll tell you that very plainly. And... Um, and concerning Michal, mentioned in verse 8, she is supposed to be Mereb, uh, as I said. In fact, in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 23, it says, Therefore, Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. So she didn't have any children, but her sister Mereb did. And it tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 19, it says, But it happened at the time when Mereb, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David that she was given to Adriel, the Maholothite, as a wife. Do you follow what happened there? So this is just one of those small little details of the corruption in the text that occurred. Don't let it throw you. But that should be Merab and not um, Michal. And this discrepancy, actually, um, if you have an NIV in your Bible tonight, if you have an NIV with you, you'll notice that it will say Merab in that verse. In Samuel, uh, 2 Samuel 21, verse 8, it'll actually say Merab because the Septuagint and many other Hebrew manuscripts, the majority of them have Merab in there in place instead of Michal. So we have every reason to believe, and it makes sense because she was not married to Adriel, the, um, the Maholophite. But by David doing this, what he was doing is following a law called Lex Talionis. Anybody heard that? It's Latin, and it means an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. In fact, I think that even on, I've actually seen gang members or have tattoos, Lex Talionis. They think that's really cool because, you know, it's not cool enough to put it in English. You know, but if you put it in Latin, all of a sudden you're like, dude, you are so cool. You know, Lex Talionis. You know, and somehow that, you know, that, wow. Man, that guy is really something. I I get chills just being around him because he's got Latin on his shoulder. But lex talionis, it literally means lex is law and talionis is retaliation. So that's what it means. It's the law of retaliation. And God did have this as part of the way their judicial system was set up in Exodus 21. If a man fight and hurt a woman with child, and this is Exodus 21, verse 22, if, a man, if men fight and hurt a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet no harm follows, he shall surely be punished according as the woman's husband imposes on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if any harm follows, then you shall give her life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. If a man strikes the eye out of his male or female servant... and
That concludes our time for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.